0: Hello and welcome to Identity and Beauty, a podcast exploring our relationships with people, objects and experiences which form our ever-changing personal identities. I'm Ruby Jones, a mother, wife and makeup artist based in Nottingham in the UK and this is my podcast. Welcome back. This week is an interview with my friend Alice O'Gara. Alice has come pretty far for somebody who describes herself as a council estate kid. We actually met back at university but followed totally different paths. While I was navigating motherhood and having my first child, she was travelling the world. She now works as a senior pre-construction designer, I don't know why that is either, in the curtain walling industry. We chatted about working in a very male-dominant industry, her journey to get there, and how her travel experiences shaped her identity. I hope you enjoy it. Hello Alice. Hi. Thank you for joining me. It's alright, it's my pleasure. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit and just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, um, so as you said, I'm Alice, I'm 25. I'm originally from Rotherham, but I currently reside in Wakefield, which is only about 30 miles north of Rotherham, and I work in the construction industry in quite a crossover role between design and project management.
0: So we met at university. Yes. Um. And we actually met on like the first day, didn't we? Yeah, it was the first day of our course. Was it when we were dropped? When we were? Um. Or I I remember seeing you though. I think it was before that, when we were like, um. Signing up. I think there were yes. like loads of cues. Enrollment. Yes, enrollment. That's the one.
1: Our course were very nice to us and did enrolment at 8.30 on Monday after the first night of Freshers Week.
0: Well, that's what I was just about to say because my first memory of you...
1: (laughs) I know where this is going.
0: ...is you with a a top knot thing, bun going on, I'm sure it was. And a tracksuit. And and you're quite dishevelled.
1: I was quite troubled. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had a tracksuit and on boots on. It was a it was a difficult day.
0: Well, to be honest, I think I probably had um a pink juicy Couture tracksuit on as well.
1: I actually think you did. Yeah, I remember and the diamond Yeah, <laughs> the diamantes across the back,
0: and I had like shaved hair at the back. Do you remember
2: that? It
1: did. Yes, yes. It was like real fresh back then. The yeah. short
0: hair, just all hair at the top. But yeah, so we met at uni doing interior architecture and design and you've since done a master's as well haven't you so I have yes yeah yeah but before that we sort of we've got quite I'd say we come from pretty similar family backgrounds would you say
1: yeah I'd say from like the perspective of just like our parents and like small immediate family we're very similar
0: yeah and we've like our parents both were of worked and things like that so I think yeah we're pretty similar but we've had we had very different um types of education
2: yes (laughs) yeah
0: so I you well do you want to talk a little bit about your early sort of education and high school just to sort of give a little bit and then so we can contrast a little bit
1: yeah no I mean I've always gone to what we call in the UK like public state school so it's just standard government run schools all the way from nursery. Then I went to a junior mixed infant school and then on to a secondary school, which uh, was from year seven through to year 11. Um, I did that until I was 16. And then I went to do my A-levels elsewhere because my school didn't have a sixth form. So I did my A-levels at a privately run public college. So it was public in terms of anybody could go if you got the entry grades. Yeah, and it was free, but it wasn't state run. Yeah, they weren't. Was it like and, an academy? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was r- privately funded and stuff, so it meant that the the teaching styles kind of went a little bit more one sided. You know, they went a little bit off the beaten track a little bit. So yeah. that was a bit different going there. But yeah, until university, that was the first time I'd ever paid for any kind of education. <laughs> yeah,
0: and sort of what was your route? into lincoln was i sorry i probably didn't even say that we went to the university of lincoln (laughs) explain that um so did you was lincoln seen as like a prestigious place to go was there a lot of people at your school who went to uni was it a good thing that you were doing that like were you one of the first because i know I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure aren't you the first member of your family to go to university
1: I am I yeah. do have family member that is a nurse so she did do the nursing diploma
0: yes yeah, so in terms of like, education yeah, yeah, yeah in
1: terms of like full-blown degrees yeah this is I'm the first one who's gone and completed one of those but um no when when I first left school there was no mention of university. My school had never mentioned university to me whatsoever. Really? Not once? Yeah. No, it had never got mentioned. We used to have these, they used to call them like career development meetings. Yeah. And I mentioned at that point, because like I just said, we did interior architecture. Yeah. From a very young age, I identified with architecture, and I mentioned that to my, she was my form tutor at the time, and it was very quickly dismissed. And I actually remember them trying to make me go and do hairdressing at college really? immediately after that conversation. Yeah, it was very quickly dismissed, and that's of no, you no know, disrespect to hairdressing. It was just yeah. I understand how she connected those two dots. She just went. Oh, you're interested in architecture? How about hairdressing? Oh, you know, they're very. How different... is that? yeah? They're
0: very different <laughs> things. Um, I mean, yeah, that is like chalk and cheese.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, there was no mention of of university whatsoever when I did my when I was just in, in school. Um, their main aim for us to was just to try and get as many people into college as possible because higher education at my school wasn't a huge a huge factor it was prior to the laws changing in the uk you didn't have stay in education until you were 18 yeah you know and a lot of my a lot of my school did leave school with no employment or
2: Gosh.
1: with no college
2: Yeah. i
1: applied for i got into a sixth form uh another school i got into my college yeah and i got into a college doing like a b-tech instead you know like more of like a what's the word um well, vocational it was a vocational course it was yeah. like a graphic design course yeah. basically that I'd have been doing full-time and in the end I did decide to go to the college because it was quite difficult to go to a sixth form that didn't belong to your school you know you don't know anybody or anything yeah, so it's college it's hard, isn't it? yeah <laughs> I mean the college was only less than two miles away from my school but when I got there there was I remember there was only about 20 students in that year that were from my school yeah. so I, into perspective it wasn't it, it wasn't the norm from the school that I went to to go there but when I got to college they really did push very hard for university there yeah. they were part of the is it the was it Oxbridge where they apply for yeah, Oxford and yeah, Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. I mean I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I was in that league I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> but they did they did have quite a high yeah. number of successful candidates as well you know they did do well with that so they were pretty good about it yeah. and it was only at the end of my first year I told my graphics my a-level graphics tutor that I liked architecture and he kind of looked at me like Okay, why are we having this conversation? What's the issue? I said, Well, how would I do that? And he said, Just apply for it, you've got the grades, it's fine. Yeah. He didn't see what the problem was. It was like a huge cultural difference for me because I'd never been around anybody who'd got university backgrounds. I didn't have anybody to say to me, Yeah, that's that it's that simple. You've got the grades, go.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So funny. And did you like did you sort of know that were they sort of telling you that there are certain universities that you should be looking at like did they push you to try for oxbridge or did they sort of lay out you know these are the good ones these are the bad ones anything like um, that
1: um like I said the, the, if you were oxbridge capable yeah i won't lie my my universe my college were really pushing it yeah because i think it, it looks good on them you know they get yeah, to say everybody how many people have been successful, etc. So, but like I said, I wasn't in that league. Yeah. But um, my graphics teacher was slightly biased in terms of he'd gone to Leeds Met.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, obviously we're based in the north of England. He was he did really say like you know you can't go wrong with Leeds. They're really really good for your vocational courses, but that depends how you want to hit architecture. I mean architecture does a does occur in some of the university ofs as well. Yeah. yeah, but it's a very different degree to if you go to one of more of the metropolitan universities so he was really pushing for Leeds Met uh, I won't lie the way that I looked at it I'm a I'm a young in the year group you know I was yeah. only I was I think I was I'd been 17 a matter of weeks when we applied for university mm. and yeah. now when I meet 17 year olds I just think wow I did that
0: <laughs> it's crazy and, isn't
1: it I pretty much like looked at a map and drew like a 50 mile radius around Rotherham yeah. and figured out what universities were in it and then Took it from there, and I applied to go to Huddersfield, Leeds, Lincoln,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: um, Nottingham, Trent, mm-hmm. and Sheffield. She could apply for five, couldn't you? On um,
2: um, I'm not sure
1: whether we five. I don't know, but I, I applied for them. I, I remember know. them. Um, in the end, I retracted Sheffield. I decided it was too close because Rotherham's like six miles, so um, I retracted that one. And I was successful at all of the rest. And then you have to narrow it down. And I narrowed it down to I applied for two courses at Lincoln and I decided to take it as both. Yeah. Yeah. And I put um, architecture as my main degree and interior architecture as my secondary because the grades requirement was a little bit different. So if I didn't get the grades I wanted, I could do interior. That wasn't actually the case. I got the grades to do architecture. But I made the decision to do interior when I looked at the courses in more detail and everything. And, you know, I'd had a bit more time over the six week holidays before you get your results. And I did make that decision. You know, mm-hmm. actually, I think this is more leaning to what I'm interested in as opposed to the architecture degree. Yeah. But that, so back when master's degrees were privately funded and stuff, now you can get them on student finance. And I was thinking of the architecture degree being the five year one that everybody discusses. Again, yeah. age 17, surrounded by people that in my family who haven't really been to university it's and there is a bit is, daunting a bit, isn't it yeah. and it's like I didn't really know who to ask this stuff you know I really made a lot of assumptions that now given a little few years you know looking back in hindsight I've got it completely wrong yeah. I thought if I was going to do that I was going to have to find the money to go to uni for five years and it's not the case I know plenty yeah. of people with a three-year degree and I've got jobs from it but that was my main reason for ending up doing interior mm-hmm. yeah and like you said lincoln nobody ever pushed me for it i went for an open day there and they were one of the few people few universities who had like an entire building dedicated to the architectural school yeah so it was good for that see my
0: Uh, my thing was completely different because i only ended up at lincoln because i didn't get in anywhere else
1: uh did you you applied for a completely different course didn't you
0: yeah well The thing is, Lincoln to me, or universities of that level, were frowned upon, (laughs) which is like (laughs) crazy, because it's still an institution, it's still an education, but unless you were going to a red brick university, like Birmingham, Nottingham, not Trent, you know, University of... oxford cambridge uh durham i'm trying to think of some other ones but unless you went to one of those you can't well it wasn't even sort of like questioned do you know what i mean like you were going to one of those yeah since i've like
1: graduated and met all the graduates in like graduate roles I've been working in and you'll discuss it with them and they mention Red Brick Universities to me. I'll be honest, I never even heard like the coin term. Yeah. Well I I was didn't a- know what it meant. For me university was university. Obviously I knew like Oxford and Cambridge was a thing. Yeah. And I came across a few when I was looking at applications where you could see that there was clearly something there. Like I remember looking at Newcastle and I think it needed two A's and an A star from your A levels to get in. And I thought that must be a prestigious university. But I really had no frame of reference. Yeah. And And it's what I was getting into, really, I could have been going to the worst (laughs) university ever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But it's so interesting how different, obviously coming from different like avenues of education, we've got these total like, different outlooks on it like you were almost like happy to be going to a university yeah whereas if I I was almost like it sounds awful and really you know judgmental but I was like ashamed that in my basically at the end of the year they would have um like a book published of the school and they Mm. would have a list of where all the um the last year went to university and I thought really? people are going to read it, and they're going to think like that. I went to Lincoln, and because I hadn't planned to go there, it wasn't what I'd told everybody I'd wanted to do. I thought they're going to look at it and think, "Oh, bl- did he, she didn't do very well."
1: Don't <laughs> no, you think as well? Like at that age, like that's your world as well. And yeah. I think that because you've not quite yet gone to uni. When I went to uni, my world went from being the size of like a pinprick to you know worlds and worlds wide. It was ridiculous and those things that seemed so important they just dissipated it just doesn't matter anymore yeah so do you think
0: that you sort of that was a pivotal moment for you and your identity and you as a person from going from that sort of small not small town but kind of small um like almost like small minded sort of thinking to going to university and you know discovering the world or even the it sounds like you know you moved to college was even a bit like that
1: like yeah it was when I went to college it was like a huge thing I mean these kids live (laughs) a matter of miles away from my house and I thought they were worlds apart yeah (laughs) I remember I had to get the bus to college and I'd never really had to do that for anything I'd walk to school every single day that concept didn't really apply to me and it was it was really different and like when I when I I think it hit me I really I will be openly honest i coasted through like winged it applying for uni I was really like just doing it on the cuff like I had no idea what I was getting into my parents didn't know you know my mum really just left me to it they had no idea and even like the day of A-levels I hadn't got my A-level results yet but my um I can't remember the name of the system that you apply for university UCAS, on. Ucas, isn't it? UCAS, 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 yes, yeah. Ucas crashed, and then my laptop refreshed, and my college had like given us like time slots to go and get results based yeah. on. I think it was the alphabet and with my surname. I was quite late in the day. I think it was about eleven o'clock. I had to go, yeah. so I managed to be at home when Ucas like came back up to life, like it does, and I found out I got into uni. But I still didn't know what my grades were. I oh, really did. <laughs> and I went to uni and I went to college and I came back and I had my grades. And I'll never forget it. I was like, I walked in and my mum was cleaning. And this this is no disrespect to my mum. You know, she's so proud of me and she's been there for everything. And we have a great relationship. But this is the frame of reference. Of They just didn't understand what I was doing and what I was applying for. It was just so new to them and so alien. I came home and I was like, mum, I've got my results. I, like, I know if I've got into uni or not. And she turned around and she was like, Alice, can it wait? I'm just cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> <Black eyes. laughs> you know, and, like, when I tell yeah. her that now, she's, like, horrified. But at the time, she just thought it was just such a not it was such a small thing she didn't realize the size of it
0: well especially for you know if they've not done it then it's not and I think like you said the college made it a big issue just like my school made it a big issue yeah it was like put on you that it was your thing because you almost like didn't realize it was an issue when you were at secondary school but obviously when you had that move to college that was that was put on you
1: yeah it was quite quickly I mean I've got you know, I've got quite a strong diagnosis of dyslexia and I did struggle with that. And my college, they couldn't really do much for me because it was private. We yeah. had to pay to get everything done and it, it just it wasn't an option really. So the college couldn't really do much for me. So they knew that I was umming and ahhing about applying for university purely because I don't follow that kind of academic background.
0: Yeah. Do you think that you wanted to go to university because you like you wanted that sort of job rather because you had seen your mum and dad and sort of you knew that they didn't do that sort of thing and you wanted to do the opposite or what was it that made you want to go and do that?
1: Um, It was actually <laughs> quite a specific time that I remember and it was, you know, just being a teenager. I was like 14 and me and my sister used to get £5 a week pocket money. Which, even That's when quite I was a lot. well, <laughs> I was gonna say even when I was younger, like that was all right. Yeah. But I became one of those sassy little teenagers who had like matching handbag, belt, and shoes to everything from like Primark, <laughs> and I loved it in every single colour. Oh. And my mum was just like, "I'm not tolerating this anymore. You know, you if you want this, you save up your pocket money." Yeah, kind of thing. And I wasn't spoiled. I was by no means spoiled, but I was. Yeah, it was hard work <laughs> you know <laughs> I gave my mum and dad a hard time so they did give in every now and Bless again them. and so from a really young age I thought I need I need to make some other form of income and I ended up getting a job when I was I was in the six week holidays between so I'll have been 14 when I started and I was yeah I'll have been 14 but I was only 14 for a few weeks yeah. and I was just washing pots in a kitchen in a pub and that to me was a huge thing because it's he didn't bother. I had no issues with the fact that I was washing parts. So that wasn't the thing at all. It was the fact that I got this little brown envelope that got my money in folded up in it, and that was mine, and I could do whatever I wanted with it, and nobody could like tell me what to do with my money. Yeah. And that was like quite a big thing where I thought, this is great. Mm. And then by the time I was at college. I got quite lucky and I got a job working at New Look but I was cash office so I used to work a little bit in New Look but then I used to count all the money and all the takings and do all the banking for them
2: yeah
0: and
1: I was only 17 quite, quite I a <laughs> big responsibility <laughs> and it meant that I didn't do too bad I mean thinking about it now it sounds silly but I was 17 and I probably earned about 500 pounds a month
2: yeah
1: and straight away I thought this is great you know just keep doing this but I think because I got into working so young it meant that employment came quite easily to me as I came older I was very employable because I already had skills yeah so I wasn't competing with everybody else my age and so when I was at New York I thought this is great but this but and I remember speaking to my mum and dad about this and this is where my mum and dad's you know working class does kind of kick in where my dad said whatever you earn you will spend you you will always acclimatize to however much money you earn which is so true it's so true. It's ridiculous. And he said that to me, at really, you know, I was only 17 and he said, if you want to have a nice like lifestyle and everything, you're going to have to earn that money, but you won't necessarily be well off. Mm. You will just have nicer things and you will probably have the same amount in the bank as somebody else who has less things. And he says, so it's up to you. Like my mum and dad have always been very good at living within their means. Mm. We've always had quite a modest lifestyle. They live within their means. And for that reason, it's meant that, They've always been comfortable, albeit in the lower class. But yeah. they've always been comfortable. And my dad kind of said, "If you don't want to do that, we completely get that." You know, and I actually remember it. And I've got, to, I've got to praise them for this because my mum and dad did not have much to do with my schoolwork. You know, yeah. they really left me to it. It was up to me to go up to school. It was up to me to get to school on time. You know, they were both working. Yeah, it was up to me to do my homework. It was up to me to show up to my exams even mm. revise i can openly say i didn't revise for a single exam until i was doing my master's degree in my 20s really i just oh, did alice i know i remember <laughs> sitting there when people had arrived at uni and i thinking it wasn't even being cocky i'm thinking i actually don't know how to revise i don't know what it means
0: well to be fair we didn't really have any exams did we
1: no well that's it i so remember that... thinking what yeah. is this <laughs> that was,
0: that was <laughs> that pretty was easy <laughs> horse work it was awful yeah so,
1: but no, so they did kind of just leave me to it. And I remember I was, it was when I did apply for uni and I was trying to explain to my mum and dad because they didn't understand student finance. So they were kind of saying, we don't have this money, Alice. And I had to explain to them how it works. And, you know, you guys aren't going to have to pay for it. I'm going to get these loans from the government, etc. And my dad just kind of said, he realized it was a big deal. And my mum just looked at me and said, well, I'd be happy if you worked in McDonald's as long as you're happy. And that was all she said to me. And I was like, okay, And that's probably the biggest career talk she's ever given me.
0: (laughs) But do you know what? Isn't that lovely? Because a lot of people have this pressure that's put on them and it's not necessarily them. And I think the problem is at the moment is that we've got loads of kids who who are being the pressures being put on them to as soon as they come out of university to know what they want to do. And yeah. the thing is, do you know what? There are people who are 40 years old and still don't know what they want to do. And yeah. I think you need the, you need to be given that time and that little bit of space to discover what you want to do. Because you obviously were working for New Look and you you could have probably worked for New Look. You could probably still be working for them now and you could have worked yeah. your way up. But because you were probably given that little bit of freedom of what you want to do, it I don't know, maybe that meant that you could have that space to think about what you want to do, and actually, you wanted to you wanted to do something different and achieve something. Go 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 down a completely different path.
1: Yeah, I think a big thing with me is I'm quite a stubborn, like driven person, and that can be a negative yeah. and a positive. And I think it worked in my favor how my parents chose to approach my education in terms of letting me run that show on my own yeah. because I I don't like being told what to do. Yeah. and it's a problem like me learning to drive was probably the most stressful like year of my life <laughs> and i was awful at it and i think if they had of applied any kind of pressure to me i probably would have gone so far in the other direction subconsciously because they didn't everything i'd like set these targets for myself subconsciously you didn't even realize you were doing it and when i hit them i was like oh it felt good that, that i did that yeah and i can openly say now at 25 i've done all of it for myself yeah and that, I think that's a big deal
0: it is a, it's a massive deal it's It's. you know it's it's important as well isn't it
1: yeah I mean I know so many kids like that we went to university with and stuff whose parents have spent a fortune on private education and you know pushing them into particular career paths and stuff and they, they don't you know a lot of them have got very successful careers but they still don't quite understand how they ended up there yeah Whereas I very much know how I ended up where I ended up. I didn't know. I didn't plan it. And it's like you said, when, when you go to university, I was convinced I wanted to be an architect. About two weeks into the course, I was like, Jesus Christ, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is the right industry, wrong job. And I think that's the other the other problem is that we're taught from such a young age. And don't get me wrong, I don't want, you know, you don't want to think that you're going to get a 5 year old saying that they want to be a senior pre-construction designer (laughs) but we've only been told that these there's certain jobs yeah and I kind of thought in construction you had an architect a client who was paying for everything and then you had builders
2: yeah
1: and it wasn't until I graduated and started doing particular roles and being a bit more exposed to it that every day you meet somebody with a job title you think what the hell is that and Mm -hmm. these people are everywhere and I think if those people were who we were seeing more talking to kids in schools as opposed to and it's no you know no disrespect to policemen nurses firemen stuff like that but we know what they do for a living yeah you know whereas and if so if you're a child who doesn't fit into any of those boxes you feel very lost and that was kind of me I knew I wanted to be an architect but it was so academic and I thought geez, I'd you know I'd never read a book in my life till I was in my 20s Mm mm-hmm I can't do this it's so academic (laughs) (laughs) so to find out that I can have a very professional job in the construction industry which is male dominated but still I wear the professional cap but I'm not sat behind a desk as a bit of a keyboard warrior almost it was it was absolutely bemused. I had no idea. It completely changed my views on the industry, and you know now I find out that there's hundreds of people behind every kind of construction project, yeah. and they all have a job title, and somebody fits in every single one of them seats. And I think that universities should really be explaining that more. Yeah, yeah. and
0: giving yeah. the opportunity to to explore these different careers.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we my housemates at university studied English, and I remember them saying in their final year that basically, if you, unless you wanted to become an English teacher, the university did not know what to do with them.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? They
1: just kind of let them all graduate with no guidance whatsoever because they were like, oh, we only really think you can be an English teacher. The reality is they all work now. They all have jobs now. They got somewhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just want to quickly touch on something that you mentioned, that you work in a male-dominated industry. <laughs> yes. Um, Which... You can kind of understand that sort of construction when you think of it in your head. Yeah. You immediately yeah. think of loads of guys with hard hats on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you navigate yourself in that industry? Do you find that you've had to change the way you are, change your identity slightly to to kind of, not to fit in, but to sort of have the relationships with very masculine people how have you sort of negotiated that
1: I think my like my identity and my background is actually a huge positive for me I think women in construction it's an uphill battle you know you understandably you know we're not stereotyping there it's no secret it is an uphill battle you struggle to gain respect you struggle to gain the positions in the first place there's a subconscious bias towards you you know there's plenty of people in the industry who really are trying to not have any kind of biases, but they're subconscious. And I think because I am a counselor state kid is the word. <laughs> I've slotted in quite easily. I'm not offended by the horrific use of language on site. Yeah, yeah. You know, they can't I've had many a times where they've where I've been where people have attempted to intimidate me. By no means in like a threatening way. It's it's in a professional way. And they they lend their male dominance to that and if you can just kind of push back and be like hang on a minute I've dealt with bigger people than you and worse people than you
2: yeah
1: and you've got that almost chip on your shoulder a little bit of you've been brushing this stuff off your whole life from both women and men you know (laughs) school and stuff it was a dog eat dog world it does It does help you out hugely. I've never had to deal with those issues in terms of people trying to be dominant over me because they've understood from very quickly meeting me that I'm not not one to be told what to do unless it's somebody who's actually got that right, such as my manager. Mm. I'm not going to let anybody else tell me what to do. And if I've got something to say, I'll say it. And that's helped me a lot in my industry. I've come across... I have come across women in similar job roles to me. They are few and far between. And I have come across... Women in roles to me, similar roles to me, that have come from very prestigious, like academic backgrounds, private schools, and I'll be the first to say they have got it harder than me. Really? They have. They struggle to gain respect because this the construction industry is dominated by not just male but working class men. Yeah. And you you get the odd few that break through and they're the ones that climb the ladders and end up high up and you can almost guarantee that every guy who's sat in those CEO and directorship seats are still from a working class background somewhere. Yeah. And 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 there's a subconscious bias to them being female that's then made worse by not only are you female, you're from another world to me. Yeah. And
0: it's quite interesting because not only then do we have this judgment based on appearance But almost like the way that you speak, because how is somebody going to outwardly know whether you are maybe from, you know, like, I suppose in the construction industry, you're all going to be wearing, I don't know, hard hats. Say you met someone on site, you're going to be wearing a hard hat and some, you know, safety boots and probably a high vis jacket. Um, so, how are you going to tell that that other person is from a working class background or a middle class background, whatever? And I think probably quite a lot of the time it would be based on their accent, the way that they speak. Would you agree? Would that be? Yeah, yeah. no, completely.
1: I mean, so, when I speak with you and um, when I speak with my friends from university, it's a completely subconscious thing. My accent does definitely tone down, it yeah. really does. <laughs> and when I'm on site, yeah. I'm surrounded by people that are all from the Yorkshire region and it gets a lot thicker and not only are they from the Yorkshire region they tend to have a really thick accent as well yeah. and it does thicken up and when they'd speak to me they'd hear it and straight away they'd make comments you're a local girl where are you from yeah that- thing and they wanted to know it doesn't matter what age you are in construction you will always be referred to as a girl (laughs) they said you're a local girl where are you from you know and then because I am from such a working class background you know like I said it's when I was working in the house building industry a lot of them they all come from a trade so even very senior management people in house building companies would have been a bricklayer or a plasterer at one point in their life and the majority of people in Rotherham are come from trades so as soon as i'd say i'm from rotherham they could name you gangs of trades oh do you know so and so do you know so and so and i'd know their children and they'd gone to school with me and that allowed me to build up a huge amount of rapport with my trades because i at the end of the day i was a building inspector when i worked in house building and i was telling them how to do their job and that allowed them to kind of think well fair enough she doesn't she's not gonna actually get on her hands and knees and build us this wall but she might actually know how to build it
0: yeah i think that's so interesting the whole accent thing and that's the thing because we like I've said before it's it's all very much based on um the way that people look this whole idea of identity and the way that we display it but we forget that um the way that we speak is also quite um it gives things away
1: yeah when they first see me I was always assumed to be a trainee or a graduate yeah and I think that's just purely because I was a female and then when they say, oh, you were the trainee or the graduate and I'd open my mouth and my accent had come out, then they'd assume, oh, she couldn't possibly be a graduate because of where she's from.
2: Mm.
1: How did you end up in this job? And they'd want to know straight away, what's your background? How did you end up in this? Because they couldn't fathom that maybe I had a university degree and I was from where yeah, I'm yeah. from. It was very juxtaposition to them. And, you know, when they talked to me, they'd it was like it was a huge achievement. They were like, oh, good on you. You know, you've done really well there. And I'm thinking... I've not done anything special and there's plenty of people in this area that have done this and there's plenty of people that haven't and it's everybody does what they need to do but that's my specific route that I took and the guys on site just thought it was very unusual (laughs) 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 but yeah it was the look compared to my accent to them they couldn't mix those two identities they couldn't exist together (laughs) yeah
0: yeah that's so funny So do you think when looking back at who you were in your education, obviously you had a longer period of higher education than me because you did a master's. Do you think that since then and going into the industry, do you think that has changed you Um, from leaving education and starting full-time work? Do you see a difference in yourself at all?
1: Yeah, it's been a huge difference. I mean, when I first finished university, it was like, being where I'm from I could almost come back from uni and be unemployed and wear my degree like a badge of honor and it like almost gave me a right to be unemployed it was like well you've got a degree you know you've you've not you've not had chance to get a job yet but then and it was like a huge deal you know it was something that I could be really proud of but then when I started working full-time and I decided to do my master's Mm part-time because of the industry that I work in I had to hide it degrees and and higher education are not necessarily respected in the construction industry it is changing but my master's had to be hidden a little bit because it was often viewed by people who were in management that I was just wasting my time and wasting money that's really strange yeah I had to hide it a little bit I couldn't openly discuss it because it was just kind of like eyes were rolled and stuff and they they do see it as like you're trying to say that you're better than them because they're quite defensive of the fact that they aren't educated in a from like higher education and it's not that I think as a female and as a you know I was 21 when I graduated undergraduate as a 21 year old female you do need a degree to get into the construction industry because no doors will open for you and it's wrong but it is the truth and it's hopefully something that more people like myself getting involved can change but it is the truth so it's like you couldn't really win from that by having a degree you weren't one of them yeah without having the degree you could never work with them So I had to hide it quite a lot when I was doing my master's and it was something that I kind of did privately. I did all of my working evenings and weekends and I used to stay at the office because it was a 24-hour office but not many people that I worked with knew I was doing it because like I said, theoretically in their eyes, I wasn't going to get my master's and get a promotion so they didn't understand why I was doing it but it's because I was having to learn skills that I hadn't learned by being an apprentice on site or something because it's not that straightforward I couldn't go and get a job as an apprentice bricklayer yeah so I was never going to learn those skills so it was I did have to hide all of that and it did make it a bit more difficult and it did change my opinion on university again I went from it being a badge of honor to being almost something to be a little bit ashamed of
0: that's sad when you spend a lot of money and a lot of time yeah
1: (laughs) I think in my first year of my master's because it took two years because I was doing it part-time I very much was of that opinion. And then by the time I came to my second year of my master's, I the course mixed you with four other degrees because it was the built environment. So I did building surveying and you mixed with real estate, quantity surveying and project management. Yeah. And by surrounded by that, and there was a lot of women there, all the similar age to me, they really changed my opinion on it. You know, they worked in industries that put sectors within construction that were a little bit more... Education's great and you need this. And also in a negative way, I mean, you know, charterships and stuff like that, you kind of have to get them in some areas of the industry and you can be perfectly capable. But if you don't have those letters after your name, you can't have the job. Mm-hmm. And they changed my opinion and they were like, no, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Maybe it's just the small isolated area of the industry that you're in. And it's true. As soon as I moved sectors, it was a different world. So the second year was very different and that was purely through meeting other people that were in similar situations to me but no it did change a lot from undergraduate to master's it was a huge difference and it's changed me yeah yeah it changed me in a big way but I think in the end it's all been positive so because I think like I said it didn't give me a right to be unemployed (laughs) maybe I did need that shake-up I wasn't unemployed for very long it was only a few weeks but (laughs) but
0: I think (laughs) I think the problem is is that we are as soon as as soon as a you know we've got a degree we're we're made to to go and we're to go and work and the thing is we don't necessarily it's really hard to know what you want to do especially because people act like it's such a long like a long-term thing like you need to decide what you need to do because it's going to be with you for the rest of your life
1: yeah yeah I mean when I finished uni I kind of crashed a little bit my undergraduate I thought but I no idea what I want to do because like I said my architecture dreams are crashed and burned and I thought that there was three jobs in the construction industry so I had no idea what to do And I went and worked in a call centre. I worked there for 10 months and then I went travelling. And it was while I was travelling. I wouldn't say I found myself. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I definitely had a few evenings in monsoon weather on Google, figuring out, looking at Masters. And I applied while I was travelling.
2: Yeah. And do you think,
0: while you're travelling, obviously, I mean, you've worked in the fashion industry. For a, mm-hmm. a short time. <laughs> so you've got that sort of. um I mean, I would say that you, even at uni, you were always pretty well presented, would you say? Apart from when you were hungover?
1: Yeah, I tried. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> so I, unfortunately, I mean, of course, had a lot of coursework and I was one of the few people on it that had to work. Yeah. So that massively affected probably how I was viewed by people. You know, I was often late. I'd overslept, or I couldn't come to a lecture. But I worked you know, thirty hours a week. For yeah, the first two years of uni.
0: But when so. you went traveling, I remember you because obviously, you, so you, you've you've been in the fashion industry. You 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 know you you like like your clothes and yeah. you're having <laughs> your hair done and having your nails done and stuff like this. But you went traveling, and I think probably all that had to go out the window. No,
1: it did. It did. I made the decision before I went I got my backpack and I listened to no advice regarding the backpack and got one that only opened at the top (laughs) and it sounds ridiculous but that that is the that is the line between happiness and being so miserable when you're traveling (laughs) because you have to empty your entire backpack every day and when you're on the move every day that's a huge thing yeah and I remember I put all my clothes in a pile and it it didn't work out and it didn't take a genius to figure that out And the pile slowly got smaller and smaller and smaller and I ended up with this little like stuff sack and then the hairdryer had to go and then the straighteners had to go and then the makeup bag went down from being a makeup bag to being a pencil case (laughs) and it was just slowly disappearing everything (laughs) and you have to put things like instead the bag of medication I took was about the same size as my toiletry bag (laughs) (laughs) because you have to be ready for anything and just your priority of everything just changed I mean like I said I ended up going with a small I think I took a a mascara an eyebrow pencil it's the really it's really small bottle of foundation that immediately didn't match my skin tone because I developed a million freckles (laughs) and I think a bit of blusher and I think I took a red lipstick just for when I needed it and that was all I took
0: did you use any of that
1: I did I did we would use it on nights out because I felt like it was the only time that I could you know if I went out drinking in the evenings or anything and that was when I took it I mean I when I was in Africa I don't think I used any of the entirety of being in Africa
0: is that just because you didn't have the time you didn't feel the need what
1: it was a mix of things I mean the environment was very different when I was in Africa I camped the entire time so I had to wash with a hose pipe for the best part of a month, which wasn't fantastic. So it just, it just didn't seem relevant, you know. The evenings were drinking around a campfire, but also the people that I was with, I was extremely comfortable with the people that I met in Africa and that I travelled with. Yeah, and I think for that reason, that stuff didn't even come into my mind. Whereas, like when I was in Southeast Asia, it's very heavily backpacked, and it is a little bit like a a fashion show of backpackers. Isn't that there's a, crazy? There's a culture there now, yeah, where you have oh, but they're not a real backpacker. Or they're not you know, they're not like oh they're they're the hippie backpackers or they're like the city backpackers. They're not real backpackers or they're just on holiday and everyone rolls their eyes at people that are there on holiday. Heaven forbid you have a holiday in Thailand. You know the backpackers think that you're a joke, and it it's a really strange thing, really. That yeah. so that was somewhere I probably bought more clothes in Thailand than I bought the entire time I was traveling. Mm-hmm. And I did my I did my makeup and stuff. And it sounds silly, but I did.
0: I love that you said that. Though you were comfortable with the people that you were traveling, and that's why you didn't bother putting yeah. on makeup because it's it's sad that like you're not comfortable.
1: Yeah. All the time. Yeah, it really is. It was so bizarre and different. It was like that was my identity in Africa was the English girl with like long curly hair with yeah. ridiculous car flicks because I'd not seen a hairdryer in six, you know, about probably about about four months by that point, not seen a hairdryer <laughs> <laughs> and, and, with the freckles and no makeup. And they were fine with that. And everyone was the same. And I, I traveled actually a lot in Africa with Scandinavians, and the women in Scandinavia are just so comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, and they, you know, they have this flawless skin from all the Icelandic hair and all this. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there were some Norwegians there, and, and probably you know, the they, different work ethic. And yeah, they're just they're just so comfortable and you know, they didn't have anything with them beauty product wise. They, I think they had like a, a bottle of wash and go that they could wash the hair and their body with. <laughs> that's about it. And they really made me think about that things. You know, I thought, I don't need to do that. They're not doing it. I think uh, yeah, that's really
0: interesting that you, because everybody, like when you're in a situation where, where you are influenced by other people because you're worried about what they think. Whereas when you were in Africa... You didn't care what the other people think because you were all the same.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, a good a good example of it is I wrote a diary when I was traveling. And I didn't read this diary for like three years until yeah. afterwards. And when I was in India, a lot of it's about being ill.
2: Really?
1: Because uh, I was always ill. <laughs> uh, about the people that I was with because I loved them. You know, we're still a good group of friends now. Yeah. Um I met them all there and the food, the food, it's so much of my diary was like it was like the diary of a fat girl, it was amazing. <laughs> it was so it was so much about food. And then when I was in Africa, it was all about the experiences. I was describing things that I'd seen and how they made me felt and all of this and this this atmosphere that we developed in the camp and how we just clicked as a group of people. But then when I read it from Southeast Asia, because of the culture that's developed there within the backpackers, I found bits of it that I really disliked reading about me being uncomfortable with my weight or how I looked really yeah I went I read one section and I was on night train in Vietnam and I wrote in my diary that I was going to go on a diet I was backpacking oh my gosh and And that is purely from
0: the influence of other people and everything around you and you taking in you know with, with different people and
1: that's... Yeah, it was completely different. And it was something that at the time I thought nothing of. And then years later when I read it, I thought, that's heartbreaking to read.
0: Mm. And how quickly yeah. your mindset can change. Because what was that like? A couple of months apart? Weeks maybe? Yeah.
1: The the Southeast Asia section was in the middle as well. So it was like I had India and then I had Southeast Asia and then I had Africa. So it was bang in the middle. So I like had that low in the middle and then jumped straight back into it by changing the environment it was bizarre when I read yeah. it back and it was like I was literally on a night train to go to one of the seven wonders of the world and my concern was that I looked a little bit fat on some photos and that maybe I should go on a diet
0: it's just it's so interesting that you've it, almost like even had different identities in in every country that you've yeah. been to
1: yeah that's literally it like you especially when you're I was traveling on my own you know you pick who you are kind of thing yeah. nobody's gonna fact check you <laughs>
0: exactly they don't know yeah. who you are you can you can reinvent yourself wherever you go
1: yeah and i turned into quite an insecure person just because of what the environment was like and the culture within backpacking in that that particular region i'm not saying it's the same for everybody but something did happen there and i couldn't really put my finger on it but it did but like my identity in india was i i was having the time of my life i didn't really care at all
0: yeah because you'd kind yeah. of forgotten all of the the things yeah. that that we think about because it was almost like completely stripped back
1: yeah, I think also as well, like in, in India, you're thought of as beautiful when you're Western. And that sounds awful, but, you know, I had long blonde hair. I'm quite tall. I'm yeah. not, I wasn't slim. You minus. just look I, different,
0: don't you? Yeah,
1: I think I was about size 12 when I went. And they just thought, you know, and they're constantly telling you. And if anyone ever needs a confidence boost, like Jesus Christ, they just think you're amazing. And that stuff just went away and it just disappeared. And I, I, I didn't have to make an effort because in their society that was beautiful yeah so I didn't have to do anything and then when I went to Asia the women are tiny and they're so petite and then the travelers you know th- th- because it is becoming this like more it's more heavily backpacked southeast Asia than the likes of India and stuff you know and everybody it was just a different culture there mm. and, and you're comparing yourself yeah I was yeah and then when i got to africa it was back to that again i mean they don't have that same opinion of all the western women and all this and you know that isn't necessarily a positive that that exists in india but they don't have that but they're just not interested they live off the land and especially where we were in africa and that's the least of their worries is their appearance and that's just not why they're there for it
0: and that almost takes us back to um in my solo episode last week i said like about the consumerist society and the things that we have to choose from and maybe going back to countries where they just don't have as much choice because they're literally you know growing food to live and and you know especially in countries that are like as we call them third world countries it's almost like stepping back in time because they're not bothered about what they wear or how they look they're literally just bothered you know about what they're going to eat today
1: yeah it was and it's like they they surround themselves by people that reflect their identity constantly. Yeah. You know they are their communities are so intertwined whereas obviously here in Britain we have this new thing that no one knows their neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> you know it it was it was very different like that and you know it was the clothes and stuff they don't they don't use clothing in the same way. I mean, obviously, these are like their day to day clothing. They have their traditional clothing, and when they put that on, that is a huge part of their identity. But their day to day clothing is there to serve a purpose and it's just to clothe them. Yeah. I mean, I've seen memes online and I saw similar things when I was actually there of like women wearing Hindu t shirts. Oh,
0: I saw that, and it says like Kerry's Hindu 2002, yeah. and someone's donated it.
1: Yeah, and they'll donate it, and it ends up there. Yeah. In- these people wear it, they have no idea what it is yeah. and they don't care. Exactly. Because you know, it's then... not
0: a priority. No. It's not something that they need to think about because yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't exist, does it?
1: The thing that always struck me, and it's something I can even compare to like how much society's changed from when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, I had a pair of wellies, a pair of shoes, a pair of sandals, mm. and then probably a pair of trainers. Not all at one time, but you know, you get them. Yeah seasonally, whatever shoe size you grow so quick when you're little. And then now I've got hundreds of pairs of shoes. And then when I went traveling like these these kids, they have a pair of shoes and they don't even understand the concept of, well, why would you have two? Yeah. I have this pair of shoes. It's like you have a car. Well, why would you have two cars? You yeah. can't drive them at the same time. Mm. That's how they see it. And it was like if their shoes didn't fit them, they because they were growing, they just cut the toes off. Yeah. And then they sit there for another year. It's just it's, another
2: world.
0: Yeah, it just you,
1: serves a purpose to them.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't reflect that who they are at all to them.
0: No. It's it is like stepping back in time.
1: Yeah, you know, it was it was it was a good experience. It was really good for me.
0: So if you were to go back in time and look at yourself now, what do you think Alice fifteen years ago would think of Alice today?
1: I think I'd be quite surprised. Be <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'd be surprised that I am not an architect to start off. <laughs> I had my heart set on that one. No, I think I'd be, I would actually be very surprised because I think that the environment that I grew up in, not in a, my home, but in the like surrounding area, was that very little was expected of you. And I think no matter how, because I did approach all of my education with such an, and my and my um career with such a nonchalant attitude of just kind of winging it I thought I was just delaying the inevitable of just being just a you know just a working class person which if it have happened it would have happened there's nothing wrong with that but I I think I'd be quite surprised to find out that it didn't yeah and that I do have a pretty decent career and that I am only young and that I did get my masters and my degree and you know I I left Rotherham I don't live here anymore yeah. and, and um I say I say here cuz I'm in Rotherham now yeah. as we're recording this <laughs> I'm at my parents house but um but yeah I don't live here anymore and I have kind of just left it all behind yeah. not my friends my friends yeah. are still here but um and my family but I think I'd actually be quite surprised that I managed it it yeah. felt like it was the impossible I thought something's gonna lo- I'm gonna lose something <laughs> it <just> hasn't <laughs> happened
0: <laughs> and can you identify three things that are informing who you are now
1: um three things I think the first one would be what we'd just be discussing about my love of travel like my love yeah. affair with travel yeah you, you are know, it's
0: always be- <laughs> on holiday
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and I go to these random
1: places and I think that every time I go there like I love just absorbing like the people the culture the religions the food and the landscapes and just everything you know just the how a place makes you feel I just love absorbing that and by having that in me I think it's changed my identity it's changed like how I approach things I think I'm more open-minded and that I can see things from different perspectives and stuff And, and I'm always open to say well that's you know, like if something that you consider normal, I would think, well, is that normal or is that just what I think's normal? You yeah. sounds silly but that's a big deal but to it's me.
0: Every, that is it. That is it. It's what everyone believes. It's what yeah. we each believe. Nothing is set. yes
1: yeah, so I think that's that's probably the biggie. Um second one would be my career. I mean I'm not gonna lie, I I do work a fair bit. It's a huge part of who I am. Yeah. It shapes my interests and my lifestyles and my day to day views on everything. You know, in it, it so that is a huge part of my identity right now I don't know if that'll always be the case you know I'm 25 I don't have any children I'm not married you know that's where my priorities lie so as it stands that is quite a big part of my identity and I'm not ashamed to say that I mean some people think I'm not one of these people who work who lives to work you know I do work to live but I think I've got that balance about as close to the wire as it goes (laughs) yeah
0: but you know it's a big part of your life yeah
1: and I, I don't enjoy going to work every single day you know I don't wake up buzzing like proper pump to go to work but I wouldn't say that I dislike my job or my career at all no. I do I find it challenging and I'm that fits with my personality so it's definitely a huge part of who I am
2: yeah
1: um and I think the last one like for forming my identity probably would be after going traveling when I came back I learned how to say no
2: I love
1: that oh uh, yeah I learned how to say no, and. I think that we learn that word. We learn that word when we're babies. You know, it's one of the first words we say. Yeah. And at a very young age, we're taught that it's a bad word. You know, don't say yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. And especially as British people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm telling my son every day, stop saying no. So I
1: yeah. get it. <laughs> That's what I mean. And it is. And I can. I understand why people say children because yeah. they say no at everything. But it is a huge part of like British society that that it's rude. But it's not. And I found it to be, it's a line between my own personal happiness and doing what society expects of me. That was the word no. So, if you don't want to do something, say no. If you don't want to go somewhere, say no. You know, give something away. You know, anything like that. And even even doing stuff like eating somebody new. If somebody asks you if you've got a certain interest that they have and you don't have it and we've all done it where you just kind of nod and smile because you want this meeting to go well. Yeah. You know, it's okay. You don't have, everybody doesn't have everything in common. Just say no. You'll find something else in common. It sounds exactly. so simple. We're silly. all
0: different. We're all yeah. totally different and we have different interests and and we need and we- to identify that.
1: Yeah, so I'd say like in learning how to do things that I wanted to do for me it just shaped my identity completely I'd say it's less even me comparing me to where I was 15 years ago I think comparing me to where I was four years ago I'm a different person
2: yeah
1: yeah I think I've learned how to I've changed my hobbies like my career silly things like the car that I drive yeah you
2: know it's
0: all it's all part of it every single little bit is part of it isn't it
1: yeah and I think it's I know that people have commitments and that we can't just enjoy everything and just sit screaming no at everything that doesn't tickle our fancy. Yeah. you know there's, there's moderation and it is about getting it right but yeah. I think when I learned to say no silly stuff like when you've made plans and you roll your eyes at them and you don't want to go anymore yeah like why did I agree to this I stopped doing that mm. and it's definitely changed who I am and I, I think that. it's not necessarily negative. <laughs> no,
0: I think that's brilliant. I love that. That's my favourite one. <laughs> and my last question for you
1: today, tonight,
0: <laughs> will be uh, what does the word beauty mean to you?
1: Um, beauty. Yeah. It sounds very simplistic. I'd say a basic definition of that for me is like seeing and witnessing things that make me personally happy. Yeah. So it's like you can sit on a nice little beach somewhere and watch a beautiful sunset and be like, Oh, that that's beautiful, that's beauty. But then it can be like going and buying a new makeup product. Like the day I bought a new eyebrow pencil, it was fantastic. Did you buy the one I told you to buy? I didn't, but only because they didn't have any in stock. I know. I went elsewhere and I was a saleswoman (laughs) and it was successful. And when I got home I thought, you know what, this is actually really good and I bought it and when I put it on I was like, Yes, this is amazing. So So happiness. yeah that made me happy so that's beauty to me yeah no, I yeah. that. yeah beauty in the things that make me feel happy <laughs> yeah
0: make you feel good
1: yeah yeah i think that's that's literally it to me it can be a physical thing or a feeling yeah or anything yeah i love I that, that that
0: it's a feeling i think that's lovely yeah yeah well thank you so much for talking to me thank and it has work. been so interesting thank you so it much ha-
1: i feel like we've known each other for what about six seven years now and probably just learnt more about me in the past hour
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, probably but no thank you thank you so much
1: no it's all right thank you ruby thank you so
0: much for listening to this week's episode if you enjoyed it i would be so grateful if you could leave me a review on apple Podcasts. i will be back next week it will be the final episode of the series it'll be another interview i look forward to speaking to you then have a fabulous week